Welcome to Biohacking Her Way, where each week we'll dive deep into the world of biohacking, exploring cutting-edge strategies, expert insights, and practical tips to help you optimize your health, balance your hormones, and unleash your true potential. My name is Abby, and I am your host, so let's dive in. I am so excited to share this with you that I am literally jumping out of my seat right now but I've been keeping a secret up my sleeve and it's time for you to know because the holiday season is here and I know how tempting all those holiday treats can be and you're probably thinking, no, I'm going to be good this year and I'm not going to indulge as much or you're going to end up overindulging and feeling guilty about it. But I have your holiday BFF where you get to have the best of both worlds where there are no more skipping desserts or avoiding that tempting cocktail because I have created the Indulge Guilt-Free, the ultimate holiday survival guide. And it's going to be your secret weapon to conquering the festivities like a pro while keeping those festive spirits high. What you can expect to find in this guide is helpful tips and strategies to make sure that you're enjoying the holidays without feeling guilty You'll get my three-step secret on how you can enjoy the holidays and all the treats that have come with it without putting on that extra weight, feeling your most confident in all of the outfits that you plan to wear without having to worry about, is that going to button back up? 15 recipes from appetizers, main dishes, side dishes, desserts, and cocktails that are all gluten-free and can be made dairy-free, and non-alcoholic. There's over 40 pages in this PDF, guys, that will leave you saying, holy shit, I cannot believe it's only $7. That's right, literally only $7. I wanted to make this as affordable as possible so you can enjoy the holiday spirit and holiday treats without having that guilt and go into 2024 feeling like the healthiest and most confident version of yourself. So, I got that linked below for you, so make sure you check it out. Now let's get into today's episode. Today's guest is just a small town girl who has taken the midnight train going everywhere she could. She was raised on a diverse livestock farm in Curryville, Missouri, a town with only 225 people. Katie Horder has always asked herself, what's next? This mindset and tenacious personality has vaulted her to success in many ranks, taken her around the globe, and has allowed her to find herself in a successful career in corporate America. Katie's primary life purpose is to embrace the guiding principle of leading with love, ensuring that she treats others with the same respect and kindness she wants for herself. She actively pursues a well-rounded lifestyle by engaging in conversation with individuals from diverse backgrounds around the world, absorbing their unique perspectives and knowledge. Katie thrives on stepping out of her comfort zone and engaging in those challenging conversations, recognizing that personal growth often emerges from these connections. As an advocate for farmers across the nation and globe, it's important to rely on these guiding principles to educate those who have not had the same upbringing. Here to cultivate a conversation and bridge the divide is Katie Horner. Welcome back to another episode of Biohacking Her Way. I'm so excited for our guest today. This conversation is, you know, I'm going to be honest, I didn't plan for this conversation. I didn't prep for this conversation because there's so many directions that this conversation can go that we potentially will need a part two for this episode to have this guest back on because she just has a wealth of knowledge in so many different sectors that I'm excited to dive into. So Katie, welcome to Biohacking Her Way. Thank you. So excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 
for everyone that's listening, this is Katie's first podcast. I feel like we have to put that out there. The <laughs> podcast gods have directed her to me. Our friend Camille has directed her to me. And I could not be more excited to have you on and for this to be your first podcast. Yes, no, definitely a big life goal. I'm going to check that box off. Like so excited and honored to be here, especially on your podcast and shout out to Camille for connecting us. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Katie, I obviously did your intro before we started the episode, but kind of give the audience a little bit more insight to like, who is Katie and what inspired you to start this journey in the first place? Okay. Yeah. So I grew up on a very small farm in Curryville, Missouri, and it is literally a population of 225 people. So yes, we do have more cows than actual human beings. <laughs> so interesting dynamic there. But growing up, um, I had two older sisters, a younger brother, and we were always so competitive. Our parents, you know, had us in every single thing you could possibly be in, whether that be sports or like 4-H. So that is where I really started my passion of agriculture and animals. I was a big horse girl, um, but also my mom made sure that we had a diversified background in 4-H and we did as much as we could possibly do. I think it was more so so she could keep us busy and not bugging her now that I look back. Our mom. <laughs> genius genius mom yeah so I grew up showing everything from hogs to chickens to cattle horses sheep and goats um so yeah I've quite literally shown every single livestock species that you can um yeah it was so much fun so many fun stories between my siblings and I and just you know living life on the farm and it instilled a really good work ethic honestly being able to take care of so many animals, having to train them, getting them ready for the county fair. Um, it was great work ethic. And then transitioning into like middle school and high school, I was in multiple different extracurriculars, um, played every sport possible. And then in high school, I was working a job. So I had to narrow that down to just softball. But that's when I got really involved in FFA. And I think FFA, which is the national now it's the National FFA organization, but it stands for Future Farmers of America. And this organization is one that I can really hang my hat on and say that my professional career is developed and everything that I have finessed comes from this organization. And I had so many incredible opportunities that I was able to pursue because of FFA. And that's where I really expanded my skill set, knowledge, and background in the agricultural industry, more so on a scholarly level. So I was giving speeches, having to really dive into, you know, the fine details rather than at a macro level that I was, you know, in, in the 4-H industry. And so from my competition, I kind of was able to realize this is something that I want to pursue. So that's why I majored in agriculture, communications, and business at Missouri State University. And I also competed on the equestrian team, which was really fun. And while I was at Missouri State, I also was in a sorority because it was something that I really wanted to kind of do because it's something so far out of my comfort zone. So I'm like, what oh sorority goodness, were what? you in? I was an 80 pie. Okay, I was in Zeta Tau <laughs> so, Alpha. 
boom, boom. <laughs> not much of a sorority girl myself, but I thought, why the fuck not? <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of where I was at too. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm going to do it. It looks so fun. You see it in the movies. It is nothing mm-hmm. like the movies. Literally <laughs> like, nothing. <you> know? <laughs> Rush talk. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Like, yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm so happy that I did it though, because I just got to meet so many different forms of human beings through that. Um, And then another thing, I was a part of the Inclusive Excellence Diversity Scholarship. So quite a mouthful. Um, But specifically is that? So in all honesty, when I was a senior, I was applying to every single scholarship that I could possibly find. And I couldn't get any scholarships that were finance based. So it all had to be merit and scholarly based. So this one was the largest I could get my hands on. And it was very intense because you had multiple interview rounds and it is basically about the like multicultural industry in terms of ethnical, um, any type of social or like political background. So it's trying to like bring everything together and really talk about the minorities and kind of educate everybody to be more understanding of everybody and how they're different. So and like how to be a leader in that realm and kind of speak up and make sure that everybody's advocated for what a wonderful scholarship to get yes no it was awesome um which now I don't believe like I would have been able to qualify for it which is kind of a little it's narrowing it down because now you have to be a minority to get this scholarship which is kind of sad because it defeats the purpose of the scholarship so um yeah it's kind of interesting now how that's set up but it was a great avenue for me to learn even more, you know, coming from a town of 225 people, then being in a sorority and a part of a multicultural diversity scholarship that I had to like, go to monthly meetings on like it, I came to college and I was like, I feel like my brain is about to explode. (laughs) I just couldn't imagine living in a town of less than 300 people. Um, yeah, I don't think I would survive. I, I, you know, I lived in like a small, quote unquote, small town in Florida from middle school and high school in Lakeland, Florida. It's really not that small of a town, but it is comparison to like Tampa, Orlando, which are the surrounding cities. Yeah. But it is one of those where like everybody knows everybody and everyone's in everyone's business. So mm-hmm. I can, I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here after seven <laughs> years of being there. I was like, I'm never coming back to this town and I haven't. So 225 people, I'm just like, you literally know oh, everybody. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you oh, can't get away with anything. You know everybody, you know everybody's aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, cousins, like, and everything about them. <laughs> that is wild to me. Yeah, so definitely have a magnifying glass on you at all times. Like, I still do today, um, especially when I go back and visit my family. Everyone's like, oh, Katie, like, I saw this post on Snapchat. Like, what does that mean? And that was another thing, being in the sorority and being in that scholarship, everybody, like, the first year or two I came back to my hometown, like, I could notice a substantial difference in how people viewed me. And it was like, oh, have you become a liberal now? And it just became like a political debate and how Mm. they perceived me. And I was like, I'm I'm just in college. Like, I don't know what I am, honestly, because I'm like, I just got here. Like, there's just so much going on. Um, so yeah, it, it really broadened my eyes to seeing like how interesting it is to see how labels really affect how people perceive you. 
So I think that was the biggest, you know, learning out of college for me. (laughs) Well, speaking of labels too, I mean, there's so many labels in regards to the agriculture industry and like the food industry now. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of funny. I mean, the, the connection that there is there, right? Like you came from a small town, you did FFA, which is really big in Florida too. We'd go to the strawberry festival every like end of February, beginning March. And that's where they'd have a lot of their competitions for the, the cows, the pigs and uh-huh. go around and see them and everything. So I'm very familiar with FFA. I never did it, but didn't know people who did. And seeing all the labels that then went into your experience, leaving the small town and kind of seeing the world at this like new level. It's like you're a reborn in the sense of like, oh my gosh, look at, I thought this stuff only existed in movies. Like this shit is real. Yeah. And also in regards of like your background. So like the labels sounds like this, there's this trend that's happening in your mm-hmm. life of so many different labels. So in regards of the agriculture, I'm sure so many people are confused by all the different labels. So can you kind oh, of yeah. talk about first off naming the labels, but also describing what each one is? Yeah. So I think like focusing strictly on the nutritional aspect, um, three that come top of mind that most people have seen and or heard of, especially in your grocery store, automatically, first and foremost, is GMO. Mm-hmm. Like then that's a genetically modified organism. So that is where, you know, they're going in and altering the DNA of that to make it a more progressive form of what it is so whether that be going in and altering the dna to make it herbicide you know resistant so it is going to go in and make sure that you know weeds are not affecting maybe the corn variety as much as if it were in its natural state so that is gmos and then the next one i would say that it's probably more popular especially in terms of any type of meat, egg, or dairy is going to be antibiotic-free. And that just means that that product does not have any type of antibiotics in it, which we could dive a little bit deeper into that because it's it's kind of a frustrating label to me, I won't lie. And then the last of those being organic. So that is meaning a certain portion of that product is made organically. What about... um non-antibiotic or antibiotics is frustrating to you okay yeah so this one it really kind of it frustrates me quite a bit because there are so many different laws and regulations out there in terms of antibiotics and how they're used in animals um and the funny part is everything on the shelves is going to be antibiotic free speak it we'll use cattle as an example okay So when that farmer is raising that steer for production, he is going to, you know, make sure that it's getting fed, watered, everything nutritionally sound as an animal and say it gets sick. Okay, we're going to want to give it some antibiotics, some medicine so that it can fight whatever is going off in its body. And, you know, a lot of people have problems with this. Okay, when you get sick, you're probably going to want some medicine to help yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And also the quicker that that steer gets healthy, the more that he is going to be producing, the healthier and happier he is going to be. So then once that steer hits its market weight that you want to go and then, you know, I don't want to use butcher, but butchering. Um, I ain't got butchering. Call yeah. what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a hot topic, but 
yeah so whenever you go to process that steer um it has to pass every type of test because if that steer comes back hot with any type of medicine in its system that farmer or rancher then gets a fine and then he can also face jail time as well as the meat processor themselves so that animal has to also before it even gets processed it has to go through a waiting period to where it has the last date that it received that antibiotic to this x amount of date cannot have received any other medication in that time period so essentially it's like a human body the antibiotic goes into our body but eventually it passes through and your body will detox it out exactly exactly And so that's where I get a little bit heated in terms of the antibiotic label, because nothing is going to have that in there. And also, at that point, it's already going to be out of the animal system. And when it does hit that point, they get fined. So why would a farmer or rancher ever want to lose more money than they're already losing to the big companies that are making all the profit off of these farmers and ranchers anyway? Mm. So... And I'm curious, like, is that just like a marketing ploy so people can are forced to Absolutely. pay more? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So even and if that- it doesn't say like antibiotic free, you can trust that it doesn't have antibiotics in it and that you're probably good to go eating it instead of spending the more money. Yeah. And it's not even guessing like you can know for a fact that it will not have any antibiotics in it because there are literally FDA regulations that USDA regulations. And that's like the hard part on farmers, which honestly, at the end of the day, a farmer and rancher is going to make sure that their livestock is as healthy ha- healthy and happy as they are. Because if that animal is not at a healthy state, if it's not happy in its environment, it's not going to be growing. It's not going to be producing. So that's always the forefront of any farmer or rancher's mind. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there are so many regulations and rules that these farmers and ranchers have to follow. So at the end of the day, like you can rest assured and rest easy knowing that any type of products you're getting from the grocery store are antibiotic free. And if you think about it, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. What were you gonna finish the thought? Yeah, so also like think about it too personally because I fall victim to this all the time, which now like as an adult, you know, out of the house, I'm like, I'm going to look at prices versus labels. Right, just buying it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, besides like the ingredients list, unless it's like an actual meat product. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm looking there, like it's those little labels that catch my eye and I immediately like gravitate towards those products versus something that doesn't have that colorful label on it. So it's kind of using the psyche a little bit in terms of, okay, what attention grabbers do we need to put on our product labels to make people buy them? Mm. So, yeah, it's very interesting. And if you look at the cost difference, you know, on a GMO labeled product versus a non-GMO labeled product, it is, it's wild to see like just the price difference that people can sit there and gouge you for. It is a big difference. Um because too, like in regards, I'm curious in your thoughts, because I hear I hear people talk all the time too of like, oh, I have to make sure it's antibiotic free chicken or beef <laughs> or something or else it makes me sick. What's kind yeah. of your thought process on that? And do you think it's more of like a maybe a placebo people are thinking like, oh, it's not making me sick or like walk me through your th- your thought process on that? Yeah, I definitely think it is a placebo effect. And I think of it like this because there are definitely some niche producers out there 
who don't use any type of medications or um, vaccines on any of their animals at any time in that animal's lifespan from the time it is born until the time it is processed. And it's kind of frustrating because, you know, as someone who cares very deeply about animals and their well-being, like knowing that they're willing to let an animal struggle through some type of sickness, um, just so they can say at no point in time did this animal ever have any type of medication. Um, it's kind of a little frustrating because I'm like, now that animal's then suffered through that, whereas you could have given it medication, cleared that sickness in a shorter period of time and gave it a happier, healthier life versus just a label to make a little bit more money. And I do think it is a placebo effect because it's scary. I mean, like, if you think about it, like, even being educated, somebody could come up to me and be like, oh, like, yeah, this is antibiotic free. And immediately, like, without thinking, I'm like, okay, yeah, like, I want to jump on that versus sitting there thinking, well, it is going to be antibiotic free, regardless, what I'm consuming will not have any antibiotics in it. Mm. What about, um, like, big companies? Do you think some of those, like, big time companies first, like some of these like local farmers, like I'm, I feel very fortunate being in Texas mm-hmm. right now. And even in Florida, I felt very fortunate. We are just surrounded by cattle and farms and everything mm-hmm. else. So like, it's very easy to get more local, um, meats and everything else. Like I get my raw milk from a local farmer that I order every week on, it just takes it out of my bank account Friday and I pick it up on yeah. a Sunday <laughs> and it's like the best milk I've ever had. It's like, tastes like melted whipped cream. But a lot of people don't have access to that, especially in like big cities. Like I think of like New York City, for instance, Los Angeles. Um, Do you think some of these big companies are maybe paying off the FDA and that's why they're getting sick from some of the meats? Honestly, I don't know. Like that's, you know, and that's a really good point of view and a question. But at the same time, everything has to be documented. So when that animal's processed, data time, where it's from, who processed it, all of that does have to be documented. And at any point, the FDA, the USDA can come in and say, let me see your books for this date and time because we have a reported instance of somebody getting sick. So I don't think it comes down to the, basically the farmer rancher or the processor, but more so of how are you preparing your meat? Like, what are you doing? What processes are you taking? Are you ensuring that it's cooked all the way through, that it is good and it's not expired? So I think it comes more down to that aspect because I think there's a little bit more variability to it versus the front end of how that animal was raised, how it was processed, which is all going to be documented and regulated specifically. So I don't. that would be my kind of hot take on it in terms of the F- FDA paying people off. I like I wouldn't say it's not happening and it couldn't happen (laughs) because like I'm all about conspiracy theories, like, you know, (laughs) but in the same stride, I think if you kind of like step back and look at it from like a process perspective, I would think it would be on the consumer end. You know, that is where I think the highest chance of a mistake happening would be. Mm. Yeah, because what's coming to mind in regards to like all these different labels and people jacking up the price between organic, non-organic, GMO, GMO-free, whatever it is, um, I think what comes down to is a lot of people don't trust the FDA. And I I mean, I'm one of those people, I personally don't fully trust the FDA 100%, only because of they approve so much like bullshit, like 
red yeah. 40 and all these 100%. other high inflammatory foods that we're eating that are causing long-term diseases such as Alzheimer's, Crohn's disease, autism, like all these different things that are affecting it. And I think that probably comes down to the biggest, I would say like the biggest thing of why people are like, I don't know if I trust the FDA hundred percent. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's where kind of like the caveat of the USDA coming in because, you know, the United States Department of Agriculture is such a large entity and they have to follow so many different laws and regulations. And then the USDA also falls into the whole entire globe as well because the United States is such a large entity in the agricultural industry because we have the best landscape set up and some of the best soil in the world to produce the amount of livestock, to produce the amount of crops that we do that we are then you know shipping around the globe as well. So we also have to fall into those external regulations as well. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, we do. We we ship a lot out. Like it isn't that I was aware of. I didn't realize that like USDA um, was more of like a global thing in the sense of like we have these global rules and regulations that we must have before we ship it out. And I guess the reason why it never like would have clicked in my brain is because you think of these other countries like Europe, for instance, like a lot of their food quality is higher quality and a lot of people oh, aren't getting sick like you can go to europe and eat gluten on gluten and gluten and wine and cheese and all these things and lose weight where america yeah. the joke is that foreigners will come here and they'll put on 10 20 pounds <laughs> after a week and then they'll go home and lose it like it's just oh. insane to me and it's wild you bring that up because like i was an au pair in italy for six months so you know, and that was following up right after I graduated college. And in college was whenever I started to take birth control my freshman year of college, because I went and I was like, hey, you know, I have an irregular cycle, like I need to get this figured out. And immediately without second thought or pulling any type of blood or anything, you know, the doctor was like, birth control, get on birth control. Mm. Mm. I was Ugh. on that for maybe a year. And I mean, like my body just, I mean, it blew up. Like I got so bad, (laughs) so bad. And I look back at photos and I'm like, guys, why did nobody say anything to me? I'm like, there is a obvious difference in a very short period of time. Like nobody should look like that 12 months because I was still going to the gym. I was still eating healthy Uh And it is insane. And so that is when I developed PCOS. And from that, I found a functional health doctor who actually looked at my labs and was like, whoa, girl, we got a lot going on here. Like PCOS, Hashimoto's. Well, she actually misdiagnosed and gave me hypothyroidism as my label. But in reality, it was actually Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. But all that being said, I go to Europe for six months. And I mean, I am eating all the pasta you can think of because I was a living au pair. So I was eating all the same meals as my family, getting the most authentic Italian experience you possibly can. I've never felt more better in my life. Like mm-hmm. I, my cycle literally regulated itself in a six month time period. Like that is insane to me. How just being over there for that short of a time made such a big difference in my entire body. 
I was just like, yeah, this is wild. And I'm literally eating pasta, like almost three meals a day. Like <laughs> that's, I'm like, that's what's so mind blowing about how we're setting certain regulations of what can be sent to other European countries. And I'm sure they have like, oh, nope, you can't have this. Like we're not allowing this. Yeah. And like, I'm sure there's that going on too. They're setting specific yeah. regulations for us, but it's just so funny to think that we are leading in the sense of like sending out agricultural stuff and whatnot. Yeah. And so then it like, so whenever a product gets imported or exported, because we also do import quite a bit of products as well. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many more stricter guidelines in terms of import and exports. So even all the way down from like taxation on them, down to like the regulations of how it's produced, what's in it, is it a bio, you know, chemically engineered product. So yeah, it's, I would say anything that we send out or receive, and that also goes on that country as well, whether their, you know, import regulations are going to allow that product into their borders and onto their shelves. So yeah, it's, it's wild. Mm. Well, so kind of going back to what you've experienced in the sense of like, PCOS and hormonal imbalance. And now that you're back in the US, like what has that been like reverting back to like the American <laughs> diet? And, you know, if it gotten got better or did it get worse or like fill us in on the tea there? The tea, there's so much tea. <laughs> <laughs> it's piping I, hot. It's boiling oh. and the kettle is whistling. She's ready to go. <laughs> no, it is wild because also when I was in Italy, like my mental health and my mental clarity was through the roof. Like I was so much healthier, happier, and I could actually like think clearly, you know, mm -hmm. and coming back to the States, I won't lie that first, like six to eight months after I got back, I was like, what is the purpose of life? Like I was so depressed. Like it's I was depressing so here. sad. Like I understand it it's like the land of opportunity and there's I'm, I'm going to shit on America real quick. Like I'm going to shit on it real quick. But I also like before I shit on it, I want to say like there are a lot of good things here. We're very fortunate. We're yes. very privileged. We're very lucky. But this place is a shit show and it's stress inducing. And there's a reason why so many people are depressed, are on anti-anxiety medication, are struggling mentally, physically, emotionally. Like there's something fucked up going on here, regardless of all the positive things. Like we just got to call it what it is. It feels like it's a toxic relationship or yes. situationship. Yes. And like living there, I, so I cared for two little girls and it blew my mind because whenever they would get sick, anybody in the family, myself included, it was, okay, you need to eat this or you need to drink this like natural herbal tea and that was like a standard it wasn't like because I feel like in the states when a family operates like that we automatically look at them and are like Hippies. oh you're kind of like a little woo-woo you know you're a little yeah, hippie exactly <laughs> that's that like well, the way that I am there. like I am the hippie of my family they all think I'm the the wild hair and I'm like and I'm like I'm just natural the label exactly <laughs> I'm like like you're just like it's a smart way to go about it because we're using naturally derived products mm -hmm. to make our body more functional than going and using some like chemically compounded medicine that is probably altering the function of how our body is actually supposed to and meant to fight that. 
and killing so, the gut microbiome. Like there's just so oh many, gosh, yeah. there's just like so many reasons why I'm like one of those people who, you know, speaking of antibiotics, like I will not go to the doctor. I will not get put on antibiotics unless I had to have some like life-saving surgery or there's something like seriously wrong with me. You will not catch my ass at the doctor. It yep, just will it, not happen. Like I don't you, even take Advil. Probiotic, prebiotic, you know, all the that's it. To help. Yeah. I have like migraines naturally and they, they aren't as frequent as they used to be. Um, thank you, magnesium and taking electrolytes. But um, even then when I had migraines, I was like, I'll sit here in the dark room and be nauseous all day. I'm not taking Advil. I'm not taking Tylenol. I'm not taking any of that crap. Yeah. And so that was like a very big eye opener to me, you know, living that way. And yeah, like in the States, I don't know, it feels like I've had this conversation with some of my friends lately, because especially starting out early on in my career and in corporate America, it just like mm -hmm. amplifies it. But I'm like, it is such a rat race. Like, it's like, okay, let's work, you know, eight to 10 hours a day or 10 to 12 hours a day. And just grind, 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 grind. And I'm like, when do you live? Grinding for? I'm right. like, over there, you know, they have the siesta over lunch period where they go home for three hours. They get to reset their mind, enjoy lunch with their family, take a little breath, and then come back to work. Like it there, they live life to live life. Whereas here, it's like we live for the promotion. But mm -hmm. I'm like, what does that promotion really entail? More next, hours at and work. And the next thing to buy, the mm -hmm. it's the ego. America is very ego driven. It is. It is. And some people love that. And I'm like, kudos to you. Like this, this is for you. But there it's more of like enjoying experiences and the people and like the culture and the scenery. Like that is what they live for. And yeah, so coming back here, I was like, what am I doing? Because I just live like the best six months of my life, just happy, healthy. And yeah, and eating back here, like all of the food and everything, no matter how like clean and healthy you want to try and eat, it's just. I mean, it's difficult. And regardless, there's so many additives here that, you know, they impact you so much. And so it's just kind of like, I noticed such a big shift, like coming back. Mm -hmm. And did that affect your like PCOS or your period again? When you yeah, came back? Yeah. Was it, tell us a little bit about that journey of like what that was like when you came back. Yeah. So when I got back for the first like month, two months, I was still like, pretty even keel and then it was like back to how I was almost in college like not as bad because I'm not on like I don't take birth control anymore will not do not no pill no implant no anything like that or you praise the lord like <laughs> it's and it's so brushing because I'm like so many people still have their blinders on and I'm like please wake up like because it especially for women like that on top of you know the food here and on top of stress, like all of those are going to impact your fertility later on. And that is so important as women. And it's like birth control is just like the final straw that breaks the camel's back, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, getting back here for the first month or two, I was still pretty good. Obviously, so depressed because I had left some amazing people in Italy. And that was really hard for me. Um but yeah, and then it was like, everything just went back to, okay, like irregular cycle, bloating. Oh my gosh, like I had the skinniest stomach when I was in Italy. I'm like, who is she? By but literally doing nothing, eating pasta and walking. 
yeah and then I come back here and I look like the freaking Michelin man and I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) oh what a what a visual right there (laughs) right I'm like I refuse to wear white because I will look like him like you know (laughs) and so yeah and it was like not only that like how I physically felt back to exhaustion like that has been the biggest battle for me is just how exhausted I always am and then it was like the depression came back, which I'm like, I'm, a, I'm always like a very happy person. But it's just like the depression and anxiety when you live a period of time without those, and you realize like what life is like, without them, it's just like, oh my gosh, like, such a way you can finally like actually fully breathe. And so coming back and feeling those again, I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> like, the whole body aches, your back's hurting. Yes something's hurting constantly you just feel heavier not even like weight wise it's just like energetically you feel heavier that is the best way to put it because it's like almost like you're getting like hugged without actually like getting hugged it's like the feeling so I feel like I'm always like oh intense yeah Mm -hmm. my anxiety through the roof like I'm always on edge and I feel like you know, people coming at me or having a conversation, I'm like, what is your ill intent? What is your hidden motive in that statement? You know, like, whereas in Europe, everyone's just like straight up with you. And they're just so happy. And it's just like living without that anxiety. And I'm not saying all Europeans are like, life is perfect. Everything's amazing. They're like, they are just kind of the culture. Right. Exactly. And so yeah, coming back, that was it was hard. It was hard, you know, and you Mm. have to work a 100 times harder to combat like all the PCOS symptoms and the bloating and just the exhaustion and everything else. Mm. Well, you've been still struggling with some pretty intense women's health stuff going on there. So before we dive into that, I'm curious, like if you're going to the grocery store, what does your shopping cart look like? Like, what are you buying? What are the labels that you're buying? So for the woman that's listening to this, the person that's listening to this, and they're like, well, now I'm fucking confused. I thought I was <laughs> it was a good thing to spend all this extra money. Like, what the fuck do I buy now? I am so lost. What's yeah. in your shopping cart? No, and I feel so bad for anybody that is. And I also have a works cited source that I typed up because I have my little like 40 pages of research here that I could reference. <laughs> I'm a planner and I, I'm sorry, but I am. But I have a lot of great resources that I can give you so you can put them out or tag them however Yeah, you we'll put that. them in the show notes. Beautiful. So that is what I would say, first and foremost, like this can be a little bit of a long-winded answer to this, so sorry to the listeners. But first and foremost, do your research, make sure, make sure it's scholarly based. That is my biggest key of advice because there are so, like, the first one up I have here is the non-GMO prod- project. And I was reading through their website. I'm just like, oh, good heavens. Like, there's just so much skewed information. And it's very one sided. And I'm just like, "Ah, I hate that that is out there. And people are going to believe that is, you know, like, biblical information. Mm -hmm. But do your research, educate yourself as much as possible with scholarly articles is my best advice, because that's unbiased research information. So Whenever I go shopping, I always shop on the outside of any store that I go in. And the only reason I do go to stores to shop is if I can't find it at a farmer's market. That is where I will go first. Always go to your farmer's market because those are smaller farmers who have, you know, um, their practices where 
they are the ones who have cultivated that product, whether it be an animal, honeybee, milk, or any type of garden produce. And you know they did it well. So I go and get all my products from there. And then what I can't find, I always shop on the outside because that is where you will find all of your fresh produce. That is where you will find all of your meat and everything like that. And then I try and stay away from the inside of a grocery store, like the inside aisles, because that is where all of your additives are coming in. Mm -hmm. That is where all of your dyes and all of these different, you know, chemically compounded products are at. So yeah, I always go outside in. And if I have to go in, it's for like spices. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that. Unless I'm at Trader Joe's, which is like my go-to shopping place, like which Trader Joe's (laughs) literally has like two aisles, maybe three. Um, but Mm -hmm. the thing I do like about Trader Joe's is that I would say 75 to 80% of their products that are not like the outside aisle, quote unquote, like in their frozen sections are very clean ingredients or you have like one or two things where you're like, okay, that's going to be my 20% out of 80. The rest of the 80% is healthy. Um, I think that's why I am such a big Trader Ho. It's yes. cheap. <laughs> I trust the products. Like I can go yes. there and if I buy, you know, non-organic meat there, I feel really confident about that because right. the meat quality, like just looking at it and tasting it, eating it side by side, it, there's really no difference coming from Trader Joe's. Like Mr. Joe, I, I trust Trader you hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yes. Amen. And they have so many like cute little products there as well. I love Trader Joe's. I really like Sprouts as well. They have a lot mm-hmm. of clean products as well. Yeah. And if I do have to go, you know, into the aisles, I'm looking at the labels on it. And I'm also looking at the ingredients list because I want to be able to know what is in that product. So yeah, that's kind of how I shop. So local support your farmers. Are you buying organic or non-organic? I'm buying whatever's the cheapest because at the end of the day, I'm like, that's the other thing. The organic label, if you really dive into it, it's, it's percentile based. So you know, up to a certain percent, it's okay, that was organically produced. So honestly, I'm all about the budget nowadays, especially in this economy. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I feel like some things are hit or miss. Like I feel like my berries, like when I buy fruit, I typically lean towards organic on that because I do notice a difference in taste there where like my meats, I'm like, no, I'll just take the regular meat. Like it's Trader Joe's and then fish, it's always wild caught. I will never buy farm raised fish. Oh my goodness. That is, yeah, that's a huge one. And I learned that through like Max Lugavari's Genius Foods book. That is like my little Bible that I use mm-hmm. for like any type of nutritional eating. Love that book so much. And I never really thought about it until I read it in that book. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, it's so weird so. to me that farm-raised salmon is such a light color versus wild caught oh, salmon. and difference. it's Literally because they put, they insert the pink color into that, the farm raised salmon. And I'm like, that's fucking gross. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? Absolutely not. I will not be eating that shit. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's wild. It really is. And yeah, I never noticed the difference until I read that book. I'm like, okay, yeah. And then I really started noticing it when I was shopping. I'm like, how did I not see this before? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't notice until you start looking for those things. You just see it and you're like, that looks good. I'll take it. Because like right. from a consumer standpoint, if I don't know the difference between farm raised and wild caught, I'm gonna probably lean towards the farm raised because it does look prettier. It does. And the salmon that is wild caught because it has like that really bright reddish pink color versus the really light pink color, 
which is what you typically see most places. So you're going to typically trust the farm raised, even though that is the worst fish for you to possibly get. Yeah. And honestly, like I will admit, like I have not dove into the aquaculture atmosphere of the ag industry. That's not something that ever really like piqued my interest. Fair enough. So I need, I do need to do my research on it and kind of educate myself there. But yeah, no. It, keep the basics. The, as long yeah. as I got the basics, I don't even, I don't feel called to go any deeper than the basics yeah. of what I need to put into my body and buy. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I like, I don't know. I just, I like the production aspect of it. So I'm like, I do need to like actually research that. <laughs> yeah. So walk us down a little bit of like the health journey that you have personally been on. Cause I know it's been a little wild, a little crazy. Um, yes. And then kind of tell us how you've been kind of dealing with that in the sense of like your own personal health and journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's been a year. I won't lie. Actually like kind of two years really. Cause last summer when I started my job, like a month in, I had to get an appendectomy and I was like, well, that's one way to really kick off my taking over my health insurance here. Definitely. <laughs> and then my like deductible what, real fast. <laughs> granted, like what perfect timing. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know my parents are like, thanks for getting off our insurance. I'm like, seriously, guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. So we, we've had some uh, real fun health times in the last two years. But yeah, in terms of what you are referring to, um, I went on my yearly pap smear in December of last year because I was like, oh, I haven't gotten this done since I've come back from Italy and I should probably get that done. So I went in, you know, everything so fun such a fun experience being a woman right mm-hmm. uh, got my cranking you open done. with this cold machine <laughs> oh it's so awkward and then they're trying to have a casual conversation and I'm like, like don't talk to me just just get in there I'm like can we just like get this going get it done I need for casualties <laughs> it's so awkward oh my goodness yeah so I got my pap smear done and then man probably like a week and a half later I got a phone call actually I do remember it was January 4th, I got the phone call and she's like, Hey, Katie, like you have an abnormal pap and we're going to have to schedule a follow up in a few months. And if that one comes back abnormal, we'll just, we'll handle it when we get there. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh, what a, what the hell does an abnormal pap mean? B, like I'm tweaking out because this has never happened to me before. So I'm like, calling my mom and my sisters and I'm like guys like this happened like am I dying what does this mean and I'm watching like TikToks I'm diving into Google staying away from WebMD (laughs) (laughs) Wikipedia Uh, no literally because that's my thing I'm like when something goes wrong with my body I go on like heightened holy cow what are we doing how are we going to fix it what does this mean type of thing because you know, like my mom watching her go through breast cancer twice before in my childhood, and then my dad having Crohn's disease and having, you know, I think it was a small intestine taken out. So because he has a colostomy bag now, um, I was always like, I don't want to be in those situations. So this was like, oh my gosh, like so scary for me. So then I'm sitting there for three months, like, what does this mean? Like, what's gonna happen? And just like, praying every night that you know that next pap was going to come back normal so three months rolled around and then I went in for that additional appointment 
And she did another one, and I got a call a week and a half later. Hey, Katie, we got an abnormal pap again. I'm going to have to have you come back in for a colposcopy. So I'm like, what's a colposcopy? And I'm looking it up, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, this is not going to be fun. So for someone and- listening who doesn't know what that is, can you describe what that is for them? So – It is a form of biopsy that they use to take basically a chunk out of your cervix. And they're like, oh, your cervix has no nerve endings. Like, you're not going to feel this. If anything, it'll be a little cramping. Bullshit. Whoever said that, I would like you to reeducate yourselves. Or you go get a chunk of your cervix cooked off in a colposcopy. Because that hurt so bad. I couldn't imagine that not feeling like anything. Oh, my gosh. I'm like, what? And I have a high pain tolerance. Anybody that knows me will tell you that. Literally got kicked in the face by a horse when I was six. I've had dental implants, like, screwed in. Like, I have been through it. I know high pain tolerance. Not been kicked by a horse, but I got dental implants. (laughs) (laughs) So I get it. It's not fun. (laughs) Exactly. And you're awake for that. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, so definitely not fun. And anybody that has to get one, so sorry for terrifying you, but it sucks. So just be mentally prepared because I was not. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy here. Exactly. And so, yeah, I got the colposcopy done. And then it was two weeks later, I got the call and found out that I had stage 1A cervical cancer at the age of 23. So, yeah, that was kind of like a holy shit, is this actually happening moment in my life? And yeah, I was scared shitless. I won't lie. Like it was, but yeah, I, and I got the call at work and I was in one of our conference rooms and I just sat there and I was like, what did she just say? And the lady on the other line was like, are you still there, sweetie? And I'm just like, "Uh, I think so. You know, (laughs) like, I don't know. And so immediately start sobbing because I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am like, oh my God, I could be dying. Like I literally do not have the bone structure to pull off a bald head. Like I'm fucked. Like I'm going down all of these different rabbit holes. Like, oh God. I you don't know? mean to laugh, but the, <laughs> the comment about I don't have the bone structure to pull off a bald head, um, that, that sent me. So yeah. No, and that's how I deal with, like, really shitty situations and trauma. Like, I cope with comedy. Me too. So, like, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I, I get don't it. that offensively to anybody, but I'm just like, that's how I, like, immediately going through it. And then it was like, it's shooting back to all of my memories of, you know, like, seeing my mom through her cancer journey. And it was just so emotional for me. And I'm like, holy fuck, like, this is going to be me. And honestly, like, I went through a lot more so mentally than I did physically. Like my cancer journey, I was very blessed compared to most. Um, And I didn't tell my family at all um, until the very, very end because I know what that does to a family and the stress and anxiety that is associated with it. Also the sadness because you don't know, like, you know, cancer is a very, you know, it's not fun. (laughs) And it can turn at any point in time. You can be having the greatest journey and everything looks like on the upside. And then boom, you get a scan and shit goes south quick. So I was like, I'm going to deal with this until A, I have physical changes or B, I beat it. That was my rules. And so, yeah, I had that biopsy done. And then when I got the results, then she was like, okay, like we're going to schedule an appointment and get you in for a leap procedure. 
which is like an electrical loop. They call you can kind of hear it both ways. And so I went in for that procedure, which it was the same day out out of patient or whatever, out of hospital. I don't know what that's called, but yeah, anyway. you said it right. Yes, yes. Okay, there we go. I'm like, what is it? You know. So yeah, it was an outpatient surgery, which to anybody that does have to get this done, I did not know this until afterwards. You can choose to get put under for this procedure. I was one of the lucky ones that was awake. They didn't tell so, you. Did not give me the option. Did that not tell me. Up. It was very fucked up. So yeah, I literally went in. And so they numbed my cervix and like surrounding areas. And it was it was a quick like 15, 20 minute procedure, you know, after all of the anesthesia kicked in and everything like that. And I'm not kidding you, like it was the worst experience of my entire life because there I am. And you got to think of like how you sit when you're getting a pap smear done, same way. And you have these like little pads stuck to you for like the electric current or whatever. And then you literally smell burning. And I'm just like, PTSD, like it was the worst thing on the face of the fucking earth. Like I just can't put into words like how bad that was. And the fact that I could have been put under for it, I'm just like, wow, that's great. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, you get to wear the adult diapers, which I'm like, anybody that gets it done, I 10 out of 10 recommend wearing adult diapers versus pads, like just so much more efficient in every way possible. Way more comfortable. Exactly. So yeah, I was in those for like a month and a half. And then, gosh, how much longer was it after that? So yeah, they took a biopsy during that procedure as well and then it came back that I still had some cancer remaining so then I had to get another surgery done and this one I had to get put under for so I was like oh shit like am I gonna have to tell my family now like what is happening and honestly like that was it was at that point that I went and I told my managers because I was like hey guys um I'm gonna be out this day and I might be out for a little while because you know my doctor was like you're probably gonna be really uncomfortable for a little bit there's gonna be a lot of discharge going on so if you can take some time off of work and I'm like fuck now I have to tell people so yeah I spoke to all of my managers and that was the hardest conversation I've ever had in my entire life because it's I have three men managers and they're all like father figures to me. So like telling them and just seeing them, you know, react the way that they did. Oh, gosh, I was like, this is why I don't want to tell people because they just started crying. And they're like, they give me the pity look of like, are you gonna die? And I'm just like, that just does not help the mental stability going through a situation like that. And it's no fault of their own. I would react the same exact way. Um, And then I had a friend take me to my surgery. And Yeah, so I could not be more grateful for the community that surrounded me during that time. They were all amazing human beings. My work was amazing. Like they were sending me DoorDashes and everything like that. And so during that procedure, they basically went in and took a more targeted approach with like a scalpel is pretty well how she explained it um, and removing anything left that they thought was um, cancer. Um, and then some additional margins around my cervix as well. And they also took a biopsy again to see if, you know, there was anything remaining that we needed to be, you know, scared about or go in and have another surgery or talk about further, you know, possibilities or what that's going to look like. 
And after, I think it was like two and a half weeks, um, she called and she said, we got it all. And so that was when I was able to call my parents and call my family. And I was like, hey, guys, um, here's the thing. So I just beat cancer. And they're all like, what? They were so pissed at me. But then I was like, hey, guys, like this as a mother, I'd be like, why the fuck did you not tell me? I'm not a mother, but I could imagine being a mother. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was a very tough call to make. It was. And I got lucky that it worked out in my favor. Right. Um, but then, so yeah, so I beat it. And that was around my brother's Green Beret graduation. So it was a really exciting time for our family. Well, then a few weeks later, my mom had to go in for a surgery on her back. And we found out that she had cancer. So I beat mine. My mom gets diagnosed with hers. Yeah, so it they was, say what the cause of it is for my cervical cancer. Correct, because I feel like twenty three is a very young age to get diagnosed mm-hmm. with cervical cancer. I don't know how common that is because I obviously I don't know too much about the that world. Um, yeah, but what is so, like, how does that look like? My doctor, she was like, I can't give you a definitive answer as to what exactly caused this. But what she thinks it was a combination thereof was a very aggressive form of HPV and stress. She was like, you need to cut down on your stress. And honestly, from like a food and intake um, point of view as well, I think alcohol and sugar also play a large factor into that. Um, So I think it's like a combination of all three of those. yeah, because I was like, I wasn't a very, my body was a very high stress situation ever since I got back from Italy and everything kind of checks out. So yeah, mm. it was, it was intense. It was so, yeah. And not knowing like the exact factor. I mean, I think it was obviously one of the high strains of HPV and that is one of the biggest and largest contributors to cervical cancer, mm. which is frustrating. That is frustrating. But I remember when they had – when I was in high school, they had that HPV shot that they were pushing right. on women, and I did not get it. My mom was like, you're I not didn't either. It. My mom was like, you're not yeah. getting it. I knew so many women, well, I guess girls at the time, teenagers, who were just getting sick after getting it. My mom's like, yeah. you're not – it's just not happening. She goes, I'd rather you take the risk than to get this yeah. and have yeah. more side effects down the road. So – Yeah. And I didn't either. I actually yeah, don't. right? I'm trying to think. I think I've only had one in my lifetime. I'm 27. And I think I've only had one. Girl. I know now I'm like maybe – well, I went to my yearly appointment last year. I guess I'm coming up on a year now because uh, it was around March. And they're like, oh, like you had it last year. All your charts are normal. And I'm like you – know, It just kind so. of reframes the whole like, no, let's just go ahead and do it. We're already here. Like just get up in there. I – I literally get so heated about that for so many different reasons. And even, you know, my doctor, she's like, we're seeing cervical cancer in younger and younger women. Like it is birth control maybe has a factor of that. A huge part of it. A huge part of it. I mean, you're literally messing with your body's natural hormone production. And, you know, like that all plays into it. 
and also like sex education and everything like that like that is something that is such a taboo topic and like I'm at fault for it like you know whenever she told me she was like well I think it's a big contributor because you have one of the more aggressive strains of HPV and I was like I have AIDS you know that was like my first like oh yeah no no I mean like I was like literally like in panic deer and headlights and she was like no HPV not HIV yeah and and she was and I was like oh my god I was like what does that even mean like what is that like oh my gosh and she was like it is so she's like anybody that is sexually active has some type of form of HPV and I was just like oh my gosh like well when you put it like that I feel a little bit better about myself you know (laughs) I'm not alone no and she's like it's not like as bad like STI and everything like that Mm -hmm. like it is so common and I think that was the most frustrating part because like women just don't really broadcast about it or talk about it and that was something that I found through my cancer journey which was so frustrating because there wasn't a lot of content and knowledge out there or really like a community to lean on because nobody wants to talk about you know if they have HPV or if they have like any type of issues going on and I'm like if women like talked up more and weren't so ashamed of it and if society didn't put all of these you know negative connotations on it like women would go and get checked more or they would be more Mm -hmm. open and talk about it, which might, you know, prevent somebody in the future of going down that same path, you know? Absolutely. And so that's why I'm like, you know what? People are going to listen to this and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, like she is, and probably immediately think as soon as I said I had HPV, they'll probably be like, oh my gosh, you know, and just immediately think, oh, she's dirty or something like that. But you know what? screw it because half those people that think that are probably just as or if not more you know sexually active I'm like oh my god my parents are going it just shows like the lack of education too um which exactly sexual education and is kind of like something I am it's a joke but for me that's something that I'm very passionate about um last year I went through a sex love and relationship coaching certification um or the fuck of it uh, just something I wanted to do yeah. because I my mom was a teenage mom and I grew up in a very mm-hmm. like sex positive family and sex positive doesn't mean you go have one night stands and hook up with all these people, which is something exactly. I've never really done. Um, it just means that you openly talk about it. And, and I, I love that. I just wish more. It comes what comes to my mind. Have you seen the show Sex Education on Netflix? I have not. OK, that's a great show. Pop up before. <laughs> well, out of 10 recommend it. It's so funny. It's so cute. <laughs> Uh, me and my husband binge watched it. We loved it. <laughs> but at one point in the series, they show like, oh, we need to have like, a, we need to redo our sex education class. They separate the girls, they separate the boys. And it could not have been more perfectly described into what sex education is in the world, which is boys, here's a condom, here's how to put it on. Here's the STIs that you can get. Women, if you have sex, you get pregnant and you die. Your life is ruined. And yeah. so there's no, like, it doesn't surprise me that so many women feel shameful to talk about those yeah. things where men are like, oh yeah, I just got with this girl or I just yeah. got over chlamydia or whatever it Let is. Let me give like, you a nooks, bro. Like let's right. go to the frat party on Friday. And I'm just like, oh, cool. Like it's what? Just, it's kind of, it's sad. I feel very optimistic though yeah. about the direction that the world is going. I do too. I really do. And yeah, because women are, 
starting to come out of their shells and like realize it is okay. I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was like a handful of like TikTok videos that I saw where they're like, don't like get down on yourself or don't freak out. And it was like my doctor being as, you know, supportive as she was. Like I loved her. She was great through the entire journey. Um, and she was like, Katie, like everybody has it. It's a dormant virus and it just becomes active at some point in time. And I look at it like herpes. It. Exactly. And like herpes you know, is everywhere. You get a cold sore, you got herpes. Everyone's exactly. got a, some kind of sh- <laughs> on a chemical level in our in our biology, everyone has some kind of form of herpes whether it presents itself or it's not. Just look it up. I promise. I have a friend who she's super, super smart in science, like way smarter than I am. I'm just like a science nerd, self-learning kind of girly. She went to college for that and she's my best friend in college. And so she, when she told me that, I was like, well, that's fucking cool. Like we're all in this together. (laughs) Yeah. And same goes for cancer cells, you know, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. So And that was like, I was like, oh my gosh, okay, like I don't feel, you know, as ashamed of myself as I did because for the like, for a large period of time after I heard that news, I was like, oh my gosh, like that. And it, this is how bad it is. I felt worse about hearing that I had HPV than I did cancer. And if that doesn't put it into perspective, I don't know what does. Because Mm. I knew that people would look at me and be like, oh, my God, ew, hearing HPV versus cancer, like, oh, my gosh, like, I feel so bad for you, you know? And so that's why I'm like, I'm, I want to talk about this. Like, I was honestly like, when you're like, you know, we're going to go with the flow and everything like that, not take anything out of this podcast. I was like, oh, my gosh, do I bring up the HPV thing? So I'm like, I know people are going to listen to this. And I'm like, you know what, screw it, because if me talking about it is, you know, reason for somebody to go get a pap smear and go take care of themselves and get into the doctor's office to get everything checked out, that is, you know, case in point enough for me. So, yeah. Well, this podcast (laughs) is a safe space. I talk about some weird shit on this podcast, not weird shit, but like sometimes I get really vulnerable with like my journey too. A right. couple episodes ago, I did like a solo episode and kind of talked about like where I'm at mentally and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I like recorded in my, ba- my bathtub and I was like, this is my yeah. safe space right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the way that I look at too, and and the reason why I love not cutting things out and mm-hmm. I want, I want to acknowledge you for being so brave and courageous and sharing that story because that's only going to inspire other women to have their yearly pap smears. It inspires me. I'm like, I need to go have one. Like I said, I think I've only had one once in my life. Um, so it's, it's helpful for women to understand like, Hey, you're not alone. Like this is completely normal, but also what I love in the sense of like, why I don't l- enjoy cutting things out, which is why I kind of like, don't like if I ever have a guest and they're like, Hey, can you actually cut that out? Like I yeah. will, <laughs> so, like if anyone's listening in your future guests, don't like to feel too much, like, I'll cut it out if you really want me to. But typically my flow is that I don't cut anything out. And that's because it's also a great form of reflection to allow someone to get triggered in their journey. Because your trigger is just showing where you're not free. And if you're judging someone else for something they're going through, it's just a reflection of where you were judging yourself, whether it's the same thing or it's something different. Um, So that's kind of why I do that. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And I think it just makes it more real and authentic, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so that was kind of my journey. And then, yeah, so now 
we're supporting my mom as she goes through her terminal breast cancer journey. So, mm. yeah. Sending lots of it's love been- to your mom and healing Thank energy. You. I, appreciate I appreciate that. Yeah. So we've been really looking at like food and how to help her like holistically and like support her body so it can fight it. Um, so yeah, like that's kind of where we're at now. How has it changed your perspective on health and wellness and the way you take care of yourself within your journey and then also seeing your mom's journey? Yeah, I mean, it has really made me like love and appreciate my body because I don't know where I heard this at, but you know, the maybe it was a TED talk even. It was somebody saying that you have one life. And you have one body. You can't trade it. You can't take your soul and who you are and put it in somebody else's healthier body. I mean, unless you're in Get Out, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The future is around the corner. You just might be able to. (laughs) But currently speaking, you cannot. Yeah, that's correct. (laughs) And you know, like this is your motor through life. So how are you going to oil it? How are you going to take care of it? Are you going to go in and get your engine checked? You know, it's like making sure that your body is as functional as possible because you only got one of them. And every single day it is getting older. It is aging. It is deteriorating in some way. So I've looked at it like, what way can I keep my body in its prime, optimal, most functional state possible? Because this is my only body I get. Like, Mm -hmm. I love it. I appreciate it. I'm very thankful for it. So I want to make sure that I'm taking care of it. So yeah, and seeing just how quickly, you know, things can go south. And especially like hearing that you have cancer at 23 years old, it really shifts your perspective in life and really puts into effect like what is really important. And, you know, seeing my mom go through terminal breast cancer, it's like, you know, hug your loved ones, have those conversations, you know. So, yeah, it's a lot. Like, I don't know. And you never know when, like, the last is going to be. So it's taking, you know, as much time. And that's where, you know, at work, like, I was such a grinder. And, you know, I want to really jumpstart my career. But also, like, I told my managers, I was like, hey, guys, like, my mom is going through this. And that takes precedence in my life because, you know, and my standard, it goes, you know, faith, family, friends, and, you know, work is somewhere deeper down on that list. (laughs) But um, so I've started to, you know, like go home more often and work from home, which is something like, you know, I wouldn't do. And it kind of pisses me off in a way that I wouldn't have done that beforehand, because, you know, you only get so much time with your loved ones and you don't know, like when their last day is going to be. So it's definitely put things into perspective and shift a lot of my mindset in many ways. Hmm. There's only three things that you could do f- with for your health and mm-hmm. wellness for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh gosh. <laughs> exercise. I think exercise is so many different levels. But before that, eat right. Like fuel my body and give it any type of nutrients and food that it needs. And then yeah, exercise after that. And then lastly, I think meditation is mm-hmm. so important because your mental state and how you take care of your mind alters your body in so many different ways. Like if you are stressed, like your cortisol levels and everything like that, like it has such a wide impact. So making sure that 
you know, I've got a good, calm, level head on my shoulders and that I'm taking care of my mind just as much as I am taking care of my body. Mm. So I'd say those are my three. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, working out for me is a big, uh, big time to also take care of my mind. Especially if I'm like really angry at the world. I'm just like, give me some fucking heavy weights. Like I'll yeah. go to my my trainer or my gym and I'm like, make it harder for me today. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm ready to murder something. Like, it's no, like got it. I <laughs> and, love uh, that. Yeah, I mean, like that is, I've always said like, I want to go to like a rage room. I've never done a rage room, but like, I feel like the gym is also my rage room. Cause I'm just like, ah, <laughs> literally. Yeah. And just like shutting it off. Like when I go to the gym, my phone is silenced. It is obviously after I document my Instagram stories, I have, have to, get my to. <laughs> I have to put I'm my, my post <laughs> at the end of every workout. If I don't post it, did I even work out? I did it. It's my accountability partner. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> Yeah. So no, other than that, though, I shut it off. I put my music on and, you know, that's my time to just be me, you know. But yeah, I love that. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being a guest on Biohacking Kerway and congratulations on your first podcast. You did it (laughs) and you did so good. And thank you. Hemp yourself out. Where can people find you? How can they connect with you? So I'm on Facebook. I think my name is Katie Horner. I had it as Catherine Horner because I wanted to be official for a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. And I think it's just Katie-Horner maybe? Question mark on that one. Hold on. Let's see. No, it's Katie Horner 06. Katie-Horner is my old one. Please do not look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have the new one linked in the show notes for you too. Perfect. I'll have you um, send over both of those links so we can sh- link them in the show notes. Um, and then any final thoughts you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah. I mean, I would have to say if anybody has any questions about, you know, like the agricultural industry, how that impacts them from any type of like nutritional or even like clothing and stuff like that, like, please, please, please reach out. Um, and I can get you any type of information or give you my personal experience as well. Um, cause I think it's so important to educate yourself and know the facts rather than just take, you know, the social media route of educating yourself. And then any terms of, um, you know, my journey, whether that be with PCOS, Hashimoto's or cervical cancer or HPV, like, um, definitely reach out. I would love to speak more on that. Or just if you want a new friend, I am here. <laughs> yeah. I think once again, thank you for being so brave and so courageous and sharing your story here because it's only, well, all it's going to do is it's inspiring someone else today, whether it's one person, whether it's thousands of people, you're going to make a difference in someone else's life by being so vulnerable and brave today. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>